five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. Today we're going to discuss India's space exploration program with regards to the moon and the Artemis program, as well as touch on India's space startup scene. My guest is Dr. Chaitanya Jiri from Gateway House, Indian Council on Global Relations. I recently discovered Dr. Jiri's work at Gateway House when I came across a paper he wrote on the Artemis Accords and India's space ambitions. Dr. Yidi was trained as a planetary and astromaterial scientist and has been a visiting scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, a fellow at the Tokyo Institute of Technology, did a postdoctoral at the Max Planck Institute for Solar System Research, just to name a few of his past experiences. His current focus at Gateway House is aquapolitics and astropolitics, the new age technology geostrategy the space and marine industrial complex, and the science of space exploration. Welcome, Dr. Jiri, to the Space Cube podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure coming on your great podcast. I've been a big fan of it. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that I've got some listeners in India. Um, <laughs> my first question relates to the original paper you wrote on the Artemis Accords and India's space ambition. Based on the current U.S. plans and China's ambitions, you stated that India should immediately announce its withdrawal from the redundant moon agreement that it had signed in 1982. Can you elaborate on why India should do this? Yeah, sure. Uh, India was among the four countries who had, which had signed the moon agreement. Uh, uh, it was accompanied at that point of time by France. Guatemala, and Romania. Uh, none of the big spacefaring nations, United States, Soviet Union, uh, Japan, China, uh, Germany for that instance, or the European Space Agency, nobody, nobody really gave uh, much attention to this uh, really important treaty, which was eyeing the moon as a common heritage of humankind. Now, this uh, raised quite a lot of suspicion in some of the circles around the world. Uh, you would see that uh, uh, there were a lot of uh, non-governmental scientific or space exploration advocacy groups in the US which had opposed this particular treaty. Uh, India didn't have the critical mass of scientists or policymakers at that time who could make noise and oppose it. Uh, and due to the dearth of such, uh, such a talent, uh, we went ahead and signed it. I'm glad we didn't ratify it uh, for the very simple reason that eventually India gathered the scientific as well as technological know-how of going to the moon. And when we first decided that we'll be going to the moon, this was in the year 2000, uh, we, we gave uh, a quite a strong justification which was well taken all over the world. And that was we are going to the moon uh, along with other nations, with like-minded nations, but in the search of resources. And at that point of time, we had said that we are looking for helium-3 on the moon, which would uh, you know, really solve the energy woes of India 
for a very long time to come. Now, why do I say that get rid of the Moon Agreement? And there are reason to it, because India, like many other spacefaring countries, will go to the Moon. Certainly, it has been to the Moon twice, uh, and in the coming years, uh, like other countries, uh, other spacefaring countries, we will derive economic benefits from going to the Moon. Now, what are these economic benefits? It does not necessarily mean that. we will go there and extract resources from the moon but it also means that uh, economic benefits can come to us or to any spacefaring nation through just being present on the moon developing capacities to go there stay there and voila there will be a lot of uh, businesses uh, just coming from staying there on the moon now why do i say i oppose it uh the very simple reason being uh, the coming of artemis accord now uh, in the month of april this year the us in its executive order on encouraging international support for the recovery and use of space resources uh this particular executive order stated that and i quote the secretary of state shall object to any attempt by any other state or international organization to treat the moon agreement as reflecting or otherwise expressing customary international law now what does this mean uh, who's going to use the moon agreement certainly not china certainly not europe certainly not russia because they have never signed it they've never ratified it so the onus of opposing the artemis accords will come only on the 22 odd nations who have ratified and signed it now amongst these nations uh, only two have consequential moon going ability and these are france and india so what does that mean the us is wanting these two countries to say that hey uh, we don't oppose you you may go to the moon uh, straight away and we'll come along with you now france has done that france uh, has a uh, really given a green signal uh, to the us uh, by by saying that they will support the uh, they'll support the us ambitions of going to the moon and they'll be part of it india hasn't made any such intention uh, or india hasn't made any statement of supporting the artemis accord uh, for the very simple reason that uh, uh, we india is not used to making such statements uh, for the reason being that we have been working with quite a lot of geopolitical blocks like for instance with chandrayaan 1 we had several us payloads that were part of us as well as european payloads that were part of the chandrayaan 1 spacecraft chandrayaan 2 was entirely uh, domestic uh, in terms of the origin of equipments gaganyaan which is the human space flight program uh, has uh, has you know substantial inputs coming from russia as well as france so india is quite happy to collaborate with countries across the geopolitical blocks but it is not a country which would readily align 
with one particular entity. So let's say, for instance, if today India says that, hey, uh, US will be part of your Artemis Accords and we'll help you, that will not... Uh, I don't think that sort of statement will come ever uh, because of uh, something that we call in India as... Uh, there's a national doctrine called strategic autonomy. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we haven't in the past readily, uh, you know aligned with any country uh, and these are entirely for geopolitical reasons but at the same time we would lo- like to you know collaborate with countries across the geopolitical blocks so so india uh, would like to uh, be able to work with a, a variety of different uh, nations um and but not to the exclusiveness of uh one idea so uh, while India would be willing to work with the U.S., it might not necessarily sign on to the Artemis Accords, or would it? Uh, there are there are numerous possibilities now, uh, and uh, these possibilities stem from uh, the creation of two different space programs. Uh, only recently, just a few weeks ago, uh, the government of India announced that they will be creating a level playing field for the commercial sector, the private sector in India, to to work at par with the space agency. Now, f- since the past 50, 50 years, uh, the entire space program was led by the Indian government. And uh, with this particular reform, uh, uh, this uh, preeminence of government over the space sector has uh, really been, you know, put into, uh, let's say, in the uh, put on the back burner. Let's say that, uh, and that means that you will find that a lot of Indian private sector companies, a lot of Indian startups, will get readily involved with the US as well as. Uh, uh, with countries that are open to working with uh, Indian startups and Indian uh, private sector companies, large industrial corporations in India. So I feel that uh, the government will be a bit more um, conservative uh, in terms of aligning with uh, uh, with a certain geopolitical bloc. But, but the private sector will go wherever there are opportunities to collaborate and opportunities to grow. And I suppose uh, that the other two geopolitical blocks, which are Russia and China, they don't offer such kind of opportunities. And it becomes quite obvious that the private sector, the private space sector that will come up very rapidly in the next few years, uh, that will align and that will form collaborations with the US-led bloc. Okay. Uh, Now, with respect to the moon... um what are the next steps that India should be pursuing? Immediately, the next step is to land a rover again on the moon. Last year, we had attempted in 2019 with Chandrayaan 2 to land on the moon on the south pole, near the south pole of the moon. Uh, there was a technical glitch. And the idea now is to overcome that technical glitch and uh, land safely and successfully uh, what that would do is that would 
pave way for uh, another mission, uh, which could be again a lander rover mission, uh, or it could also be a sample return in terms of picking up samples from the polar regions of the moon. Uh, it seems it seems that this decade of 2020s uh, will be largely dedicated to the exploration of the lunar poles and uh, this is this is you know evident from the numerous artemis missions which are going to this lunar poles and uh, they are wanting to find out the or they're wanting to quantify the amount of ice present there and whether some of these craters can uh, inhabit a, a certain bases so india would want to be part of that particular uh, rush if i may say so okay uh, now in the article uh, or the paper um you mentioned, and this is sort of like uh, going a little off track from India, but I, I found it very interesting because I didn't find too much in the way of any references elsewhere. You make mention of China's plans for an Earth-Moon special economic zone. Can you briefly elaborate uh, on what those plans are? And then we'll get into uh, the space exploration industry agenda for India. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of uh, since since you are a space journalist and you would find that uh, there is a great thrust right now towards setting up an infrastructure between uh, the earth and the moon what we know call as cislunar infrastructure that allows uh, transportation of crew as well as logistics between these two bodies uh, th th this is this is this is, you know, quite vividly spoken about uh, in the space agency circles, in the scientific circles, as well as in the industrial circles. But a lot of the literature that gets published, it it is largely limited to the Western uh, uh, Western scientific and technological circles. China, being a, a, a closed system. And a capable one at that, uh, because in the past 20 years, they have managed to uh, put a space station, uh, they've managed to send astronauts up in space, they've managed to carry out successful missions uh, uh, in the Chang'e series, and uh, they have set their eyes on the moon. They've never been to the Mars, if, uh, you know, if you notice. They have set their eyes on the moon, and the very reason being that they want to create an alternative architecture, an infrastructural architecture between these two bodies, uh, and uh, they really don't want to rely on the uh, U.S.-led bloc uh, for the very reason uh, that uh, they have been excluded from a lot of you know strategic uh, you know strategic sectors. And um, they want to create their own parallel architecture. And uh, this particular Earth-Moon Special Economic Zone is part of that. Uh, what they've done is they've, uh, they've employed one of their uh, huge uh, aerospace companies, uh, the CASIC and CASTC, 
these are two sustained companies they are they are governed by the state council uh, and uh, these companies have built in the past a lot of uh, spacecrafts they built china's long march rockets and they have the capability and uh, you know credibility um, to set up that sort of an infrastructure and uh, china is doing all this within its own ecosystem i don't think there are many uh, global takers for it uh, even if there are any takers they would be uh, my guess is pakistan or uh, north korea uh, but china is wanting to use this sort of an architecture to create its own uh, you know strong geopolitical block uh what i remember very clearly is when china had announced that it will build a space station and a, a low earth orbit space station the first country to show great interest in it was pakistan at that point of time and uh, that that also shows that countries that do not find favor in the western bloc will try and align themselves with china and uh, china will lure them in through a lot of debt debt money uh, through their pet projects like the belt and road initiative and all that all right now that's very interesting um china you know when it does go on to uh build these plans it's it's been pretty good at executing them um now getting back to india your latest paper, A Space Exploration Industry Agenda for India, you talk about India, how India must let go of its past and start preparing for the future. So can you, uh, and I think what you're talking about there is the, the way the Indian program has been to date, basically what you call a space 1.0 with uh, Israel being uh, the central focus. Uh, but for it to move forward and I suppose stay um, in concert with what other larger programs are doing, India needs to adapt. So can you explain that a bit? Yeah. Um, when, when I released this paper, when this paper got published, uh, a few weeks ago uh, i wasn't sure that there will be immediate reforms uh, in this particular sector uh, but uh, i was very happy when the government announced that uh, they are now liberalizing the space sector and it won't be isro dependent now india space program can be divided into two historical time periods the first uh, period which began in the late 1950s with this massive global project called as the International Geophysical Year. Uh, not many know that India was one of the most active contributor to that particular project. Uh, uh, I'll, and this was the... I'll just interject there that that's basically uh, around the same time where Canada started to spend a, a considerable amount of effort on its space program. So there's some similarities there. There, there, there are quite a few similarities. And, uh, uh, you know, the, that was the first big post-war scientific project where many, many countries had, uh, and across the blocks, uh, had collaborated. And uh, that was also the breeding ground for numerous space programs including the American as well as the Russian program. 
because immediately after this international geophysical year uh, you had the sputnik moment uh, in, uh, after a few years you had the gemini uh, then you had the apollo uh, so on and so forth we we did not inherit any of the world war 2 technologies because we were a colony at that time and we had to start from scratch and we did so so in the early years india you know got made special friendships and partnerships with france with russia with the us um uh, and these were the three you know supporters of india space program later on as cold war emerged uh, our space program had to meander between the you know the cold war zones of the two countries and uh, at at times we had to compromise at times we had to listen to one particular block and follow what they were asking us to do uh, but it took us some time it took us nearly 4 to 5 decade 4 decades to really between between the start of the space program as well as the start of the planetary exploration program so the space program began in the early uh, 1960s but the planetary exploration program uh, was started only in 1999 2000 so it was a slow period for us it was a learning curve and during these years uh, our the personnel who toiled very hard in building our space pro- program they they accumulated certain ethos and certain values which were which were you know relevant at that point of time but since 1990s since the breakdown of uh, the soviet union since the liberalization of india's economy in 1991 india made you know you know it, it we made you know great leaps in terms of our technological capabilities and uh, we our, our economy grew rapidly uh, we 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 showed our metal in the, uh, the in the it sector in the information technology sector and uh, the liberalization right now is 30 years old Uh, we are now a mature advancing economy and uh, the ethos that were crucial for the space program then have now become obsolete this is a new india this is a more confident india this is the fifth largest economy of the world right now uh, and the aspirations are completely different uh, of the country the demographics have changed uh, we have a huge young population in the country now uh, very aspirational very gung ho it wants to do something and uh, the the space program since it was a closed one uh, at that it's being a strategic program uh, uh, it, it it wasn't be uh, it wasn't able to accommodate all these aspirations uh, it was following the government's mandate but the space sector right now is not a government's domain as you see around yourself you know your companies like spacex or planetary resources or blue origin or virgin these are now the the movers and shakers of the space sector and uh, we don't have any any of any such companies here in india and that's why i say that uh, this was the right time for the government of india to really bring in the change usher in the space 2.0 and uh, 
we've done that. Uh, so it's now time to work and our private sector will be interested in not only working with the national aspirations, India's own aspirations of going out in outer space, but it would also want to be part of uh, the global space enterprise. Because space cannot be a solitary pursuit. It's a, it's a global pursuit now. Right. Now, you also state, and we're, we're, we're probably running out of time here. We've got about eight or nine minutes left. So we'll, we'll try to get through the last questions here um, quickly. You also state that to thrive in Space Point 2 era, uh, to thrive in the Space Point 2 era profuse with the newest Industry 4.0 technology, India's space exploration efforts needs vision and patronage from the highest levels. The Prime Minister oversees the Space Commission, the Indian, the Indian government's outer space policy making body. Now, how do, so this is a two-part question, and, and try and, if you could, answer them briefly. How does the Prime Minister view the space, cro- space program, and how much sway does the Space Commission have? India's Prime Minister has been very sporting, and he has been a very keen supporter uh, of the Indian space program. Uh, and uh, the, this is this is evident from this particular reform. This is evident from his announcement of the Indian Human Space Flight Program, which is Gaganyaan. Uh, he did so proactively. Uh, uh, the government is quite interested in making uh, uh, upfront investments in outer space. And it is quite evident in that sense. Uh, the Space Commission is the highest policy-making, space policy-making body in the country. And... Uh, it, it sits within the prime minister's office. And uh, uh, what I feel is uh, for, for a very long time, India's space program was run from uh, Bangalore, where the Indian Space Research Organization is, the Indian Space Agency is. Uh, and there was a slight amount of disconnect with uh, New Delhi, which is India's capital city, which, which, uh, which is the highest decision-making place in the country. Now, that bridge is, you know, that gap is being bridged. Uh, and uh, that is why I say that uh, you need to have patronage at the highest levels. Uh, as evident from the American space program, the, uh, the European space programs, uh, Russian, Chinese, uh, unless and until the top leadership of the country is confident about what the country wants to achieve through such a program, uh, none of the space programs can proceed. And uh, only uh, only the top leadership is able to galvanize uh, various echelons uh, to get together and contribute to it and make dividends out of it, earn dividends out of it. All right. Um, so uh, I just want to focus now a little bit more on uh, a couple other topics that uh, one that we had talked about previously uh, in our lead up call to this uh, podcast, and, and that's India's new space or, or startups. Um, can you tell me at this point, where are India's new space or startups based and, and what areas are, are they working in at this point? Uh, we have quite a few space startups. Uh, they are working in the launch vehicle vertical. They're working in the satellite uh, bus vertical, the satellite structure manufacturing. They're working in the payloads vertical. They're working in the space-based services vertical. 
then there are certain startups that are entirely into meteorology uh, uh, and uh, there are there are some into uh, earth observation uh, particularly for agriculture because india is an agrarian country and there is a huge market for it so uh, startups are trying to find their own niches and uh, trying to accommodate uh, in this newly budding uh, ecosystem uh, if you ask me about the locations they are all they located almost everywhere indeed there is a high concentration in bengaluru uh, which is the space capital of india uh, but then there are startups based in chennai in hyderabad in delhi in pune uh, all over the place and now that the reforms have been announced and the private sector feels that they have a role in building india's space uh, uh, you know being part of india space aspirations i think uh, there will be more cities who will have these uh, sort of space startups uh, does that include uh, mumbai the the financial capital uh, yes certainly certainly the mumbai metropolitan region will host uh, quite a few startups we have some of them right now but uh, they'll spawn in greater numbers are there so any there's a lot of invest there's a lot of investment opportunities for global investors to come and invest in uh, the talent that resides here uh, and uh, they 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 all they are quite skilled people yeah, are there a couple just let's say two that uh, that you're aware of that that seem to be doing well uh, i i know of kawa space which is based here in mumbai uh i know of uh, a couple of uh, rocket uh, you know launch vehicle startups there's one called agnikol which is based in uh, indian institute of technology madras which is which is in chennai um, yeah hey yeah please do so uh two more questions for you uh, one of them's just a a quick one um how uh, how do you view india's current efforts for its human space flight program uh, what's uh, can you give us a quick status on on how that's proceeding yeah it's proceeding well uh, uh, we have built a capsule uh, 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 a number of years ago and uh, the capsule is being developed through uh, public private cooperation so public sector companies and private sector companies are collaborating to build it together are are vyomanauts so we are calling our astronauts vyomanauts they are currently being trained in russia in uh, star city uh, and uh, uh, and france has uh, agreed to help us with uh, space medicine aspects aerospace medicine aspects and uh, yeah it's proceeding well so but we don't know uh, at least i don't know uh, whether there are any delays in the program but the idea has been to uh, make the launch possible by 2022 which is india's uh, seventh to fifth uh, year of independence so i hope we make it then even if not uh, i i feel that the security of the vyomanauts is paramount and uh, that shouldn't be compromised at any cost yeah 2022 sounds pretty ambitious um Yeah, very ambitious. Anyway, uh the US has got a lot of ambitious programs too of trying to get uh, humans back to the moon by 2024. All right. So, um <laughs> 
What about Canada? I mean, uh, Canada and Israel, I, I don't hear too much about Canada's uh, efforts of working with uh, the Indian space program these days. Do you know of anything that's, uh, that's ongoing? Uh, I was part of a track 1.5 diplomatic uh, dialogue between the Indian government and the Canadian government uh, in 2018. And uh, I had the privilege of mentioning uh, a very fine collaboration that had happened uh, some years ago when India or ISRO, a space agency, had launched a Canadian uh, satellite called GHGSAT, which is the greenhouse gas uh, satellite. Uh, but since then, there hasn't been much, uh, but there is a huge potential. And uh, this is why I'm quite, quite, quite happy and excited that if not uh, the Indian Space Agency or the Canadian Space Agency, uh, let's say that there won't be much opportunities for the space agencies to collaborate. But with the coming up of the private sector, you will have many more fingers to really come closer to each other and shake, uh, shake hands. So yeah, the... The space collaborations between the two countries won't have to rely on the agencies. They can they can happen on a track to diplomatic level between companies and industries. So I'm quite excited. And in the coming years, we can have collaborations between Canadian universities and Indian universities in terms of you know building CubeSats. Um, in terms of you know there are the, there's so many things that we can do together. Uh, I'm quite optimistic and positive about it. Now. And then Canadian investors who would want to invest in Indian startups, uh, they're most welcome. All right. Well, we're trying to get Canadian companies or Canadian investors to invest in Canadian companies right now. So <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an ongoing I'm battle. Glad I'm glad MD is back. I'm glad MD is back. <laughs> All right. We could keep talking because I have a lot more questions for you, but we've, we've got to keep this uh, relatively uh, within our time limits. Uh, I'm sure we'll be able to have another chat down the road. But so I have one last question for you, and it, it relates to an, uh, an article you wrote last week on, on SpaceX and uh, what SpaceX has just accomplished with its uh, Demo 2 launch. Um, and you asked the question, can ISRO do what SpaceX did? And that included, you know, rocket reusability, heavy lift capability. Can you just mention a little bit of can ISRO do what SpaceX does? Is there uh, not just ISRO, but also the uh, what's becoming the burgeoning uh, new space community or just not even new space, but the, the commercial space industry in India? Can, can they do this? Yeah, undoubtedly, ISRO can do it. Uh, it's only a matter of, uh, you know, changing the mindset. And what do I mean by mindset? Uh, for a very long time, uh, companies that were building space launch vehicles were building expendable systems. And expendable systems are expensive. Uh, you cannot retrieve uh, the components that fall on the ground or in waters. And uh, that, that really doesn't help uh, any space program to turn into or, or make it commercially viable. And that's why I say that uh, it's, it's, it's only a matter of thinking. With SpaceX, and I'm quite impressed with uh, the new space companies that are coming up in North America particularly, these are business-driven. They do not have the... the 
the mindset of a space agency where you have where you are profusely funded by the government but uh, they all do it with one particular thing in mind and that is profit uh, spacex has been profiting tremendously because of its uh, uh, reusable uh, uh, launchers and i believe india should be doing that because for a very long time india had uh, a legitimate claim of launching uh satellites at the lowest cost but this particular uh, you know coveted spot is now being shifted towards uh, companies like spacex so if isro has to regain that particular spot of being the most cost effective launch vehicle uh, you know space agency it will have to tweak the designs and what i believe is uh, they'll have to give away with the expendable systems and they'll have to make the launchers uh, reusable uh, that, that needs uh, tremendous efforts i'm also aware that uh, most of the new space companies in india would want to get into the small satellite launcher business and they should be allowed to do that then there are industries which have been supplying components to isro uh, for building uh, rockets these companies are also uh, ready now to build uh, launchers uh, entirely on their own and isro is and isro has been uh, quite uh, you know supportive uh, they're just waiting for the right opportunity to privatize the construction of expendable launch systems but this also now gives isro the leeway to focus on r&d of launchers and make them even more cost effective and uh, i know they can do it it's just a matter of uh, you know deciding when and how to do it that sounds exciting i mean uh, i think uh, I, from my personal perspective to see other countries uh not only space programs but also the commercial sector uh working towards uh new technologies uh and furthering space exploration uh, of space uh, i think that's uh, it's uh, we're on the right track anyway uh, I'd like to thank you for being my guest today. Um, like I said, we, we we could continue talking because your two papers are excellent. Um, you've given our audience, uh, which doesn't get too many insights, I don't think, into the Indian Space Program, uh, a good uh, peek at it. Uh, when we post this to the website, um, uh, which will be next Thursday, uh, we will make sure that uh, uh, it includes uh, the papers uh, and uh, links to uh, Gateway House so that the uh, audience can uh, keep track of, of uh, what it is you're writing, what's going on with, uh, uh, with the program in India. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? 
Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.